The difference between esports and traditional sports is, yeah, it's fluid, it's borderless, which presents a lot of opportunities, but it also makes life a lot harder. And so that's kind of the biggest difference, I would say. But again, where esports is going, um, it's a new frontier, and I personally wanted to be part. Uh, of a new frontier. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hey there, and welcome to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Loams, coming to you live from Austin, Texas. On today's show, we have Adrian Montgomery, CEO at Enthusiast Gaming. Adrian has a story career as a senior officer and director of several public and private companies in the fields of media, sports, entertainment, finance, and industrial services. Most recently, he served as president and CEO of Canucks Sports and Entertainment, one of Canada's premier sports and entertainment organizations. He's a former president of Tuckamore Capital Management, a conglomerate with over $700 million of annual revenue, and was also the former CEO of QM Environmental, one of Canada's largest contracting companies. Adrian has also been active in the political process throughout his career and has served as a political advisor to leaders at all levels of government, as well as being a member of the New York State Bar Association. So you agree that's quite the story, Korea, um, and interesting uh, arc through investment, traditional sports, and now landing in esports with his current role at Enthusiast. And if you're unfamiliar with Enthusiast Gaming as an organisation, it's one of the world's largest publicly traded esports businesses. They operate across the full spectrum of the industry, including a media platform with reach to over 150 million visits monthly, a professional esports team. Uh, that division is called Luminosity Gaming, with seven teams boasting a fan base of over 60 million followers. They also run some of Canada's largest esports live events. This episode is a must-listen for anyone wanting to learn how esports and traditional sports continue their crossover, the future of privatization when it comes to third-party data ownership in gaming and esports, and what it means for brands and advertisers trying to reach the coveted Gen Z audience in a meaningful and genuine way. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website, sportstechfeed.com. You'll also find links to shows with past guests, which over the last few weeks have included tech and business leaders from the NFL, Microsoft, and Formula One. We really appreciate you joining in and joining us as part of the global sports technology community. If you've enjoyed the show, uh, either this one or ones in the past, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, helps spread the word. Um, and also any feedback that we get is, uh, is, is very much welcomed. So either reach out to me on the website or personally on LinkedIn, Thomas Loams, as I said, leading the podcast, also leading activities for Sports Tech World Series in, in North America. So if you'd like to talk Sports Tech, you'd like to talk eSports, or you just want to have a catch up about sports, I'm all ears. But that's enough from me now. Over to Adrian Montgomery, CEO of Enthusiast Gaming. Adrian Montgomery, welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Good to be here with you. So you've had a bit of an interesting journey from traditional sports into esports, now as a CEO of Enthusiast Gaming. Uh, can you share a little bit about Enthusiast Gaming for those who don't know about it and what sets you apart from other esports organizations? Yeah, no, happy to. Um, so Enthusiast Gaming is, um, is the, we're building the world's largest platform of communities for gamers and esports fans. And what we have uh, in terms of what we own is I believe what sets us apart. Nobody has the diverse array of assets in and around the hardcore video gaming and esports world as we do. So we have a media platform with over 100 websites, 900 YouTube channels, 
exclusively catering to gaming. Uh, we have 150 million monthly unique viewers to those sites and, and channels, which makes us the largest gaming network in North America and the United Kingdom. We own Luminosity, which is a well-known esports organization. Uh, we co-own um, a, a Call of Duty team, an Overwatch team. We have a number of other teams. We have some of the biggest influencers in the world of gaming. And we also have uh, an event division that does over 30 events around the world. All the pocket gamer events we own, largest mobile gaming events in the world. And we have Canada's largest gaming exposition, EGLX, which a couple months ago had over 35,000 people to it. Um, so that's who we are. So a lot. A lot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is there, in terms of the market, like obviously that's, that's a lot of different divisions. There's media, there's the actual owning an esports team itself. There's the event side. Uh, what are we seeing? Is it, is it much more siloed in, I guess, your competitors or um, maybe not your direct competitors, but other people in the esports ecosystem? What's, cause what's a, like a classic structure of the system? Because in traditional sports, it's very clear. You have a, a team owner who might also own, own an arena, uh, but really it's team owner and then there's kind of broadcasting and then there's, uh, say, someone that runs events around that. Yeah, I think in the world of esports, it is more siloed. You have people that are just pure play uh, esports organizations that own teams, uh, franchise teams. There are uh, esports organizations that, like 100 Thieves and FaZe that, that are more lifestyle companies within the gaming universe. So, yeah, it's more siloed. We're purposefully trying to take a, a page from the book of some of the bigger media companies and, and what they do. So if you look at a company like Comcast, they have a massive cable and internet company, but they also own NBC mm. and they also own professional sports teams and they also own esports teams and venues. Um, you know, Disney owns ABC and ESPN. And we look at our model the same way. We own a platform that has an incredible size and scale in terms of our sites. Um, but we also own content and we look at our esports teams as content and our influencers as content and our events as content. And all of them represent some form of community. And we're all about building communities. And is that a circular feed as in the sense of your esports teams create content that feeds into your media platform, which reports on it? Is that the idea that you have your own, um, you can control it basically end to end? Yes. So it's, it, again, we want to create content that people want to consume and we want to distribute that content either through a live format uh, at our events or through our distribution platform. So last week, uh, we did an incredible thing. Uh, we partnered with uh, one of the biggest DJs in the world, DJ Zoo. He wanted to release new music. He wanted to do it in a different way. Uh, we created a concert with him and one of our uh, content creators, Mr. Fresh Asian, who is the Twitch streamer of the year. Good Australian boy, by the way. And we broadcast that concert live on our Luminosity uh, Twitch channel. And we promoted it across our network. And we had the biggest event on Twitch that night. We had over a million viewers. 
Um, that's an example of something that we created with the assets that we own uh, and distributed it uh, across our channels. Great. So what, uh, what platform was that on? The, the, so it was streamed on Twitch, but what, um, what game title or platform was that held on? So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a game title. I'm, Fresh Asian is, is a well-known Fortnite streamer, um, but he's also an amateur DJ. And we gave Fresh the opportunity to DJ a set live on, on Twitch and to open up for one of the biggest EDM personalities in the world, being DJ Zoo, who we also signed as a content creator for Luminosity. So it really tied in together nicely. Um, and at our peak, we had, you know, 62, 63,000 concurrents, uh, which was huge. Yeah, and is that a purposeful strategy to have things that are maybe centered so around the game title? So Fortnite, for instance, they're owned by Epic Games. Um, they obviously own all the IP, they control that, they do their own events within it, something like the Travis Scott concerts, the most well-known. Was that a purposeful strategy to go, let's do something that's using the platform that they've grown, we have eyeballs, let's then just go something that's not actually on a third-party platform, such as the game? Yeah, 100%. Look, there is a tremendous intersection between music and video games and we want to live at that intersection point because what we want to do is create compelling content and capitalize on uh, a shared love that our viewers have for all things gaming. So when we can have uh, one of the world's biggest DJs partner up with, uh, with one of the world's biggest gamers, um, whether or not they're gaming, you know, is somewhat irrelevant to us because, um, what we're doing is creating a unique opportunity for both of them to showcase uh, what they love. And gamers are big music fans, right? Uh, we, we know that, as you say, through Travis Scott, through you know Drake uh, streaming with Ninja back in the day. Gamers love music and music musicians love gamers and we just put the two together. Yeah, and is that, I mean, I kind of want to dive into some of the challenges here. Is that, a, is that like a major challenge that the esports industry is facing? Is maybe not challenge or opportunity or strategic shift is basically that the game owners own the IP um, and in a professional context, if they want to run a game in a tournament, they can. Um, and third parties that come in can very easily be cut out of the ecosystem. Is it, is it, purposeful or is that not a risk um, to that? Because for, for instance, if you compare it to traditional sports, say the NBA, the NBA can't just um, change the rules and no one can go play NBA in the street, yeah, basketball in the street. You know, the rules of basketball are there. The ball itself, anyone can make a basketball. Um, but to analogize to esports, it would be the NBA owning the ball and owning the rules and unless you buy the NBA's ball, you can't play the game. So there's like IP issues and stuff in that. Is that, is that a concern or is that a bit overblown? No, it's a very valid concern. Look, um, you're right. That's the most subtle, uh, the most subtle difference, um, but the most um, important difference, which is somebody owns Fortnite. Somebody owns Call of Duty. And so it can be limiting to the things that you can do. You and I, 
could organize a basketball tournament, to use your analogy, um, and charge people to enter, and you and I would split the profits. We can't do that if you and I wanted to start a Fortnite tournament. Um, and again, you know, that's one of the other big differences between traditional sports and esports, as, as you point out, which is, you know, traditional sports has had this fantastic model all over the world, which is we're going to create a league, which is effectively a monopoly, and we are going to divide that league into 30 teams, and each team is going to own all by themselves a piece of geography, and no other team is allowed to come into it. The Golden State Warriors can't sell jerseys in Dallas uh, without the Dallas Mavericks saying that they're okay with it. And so underpinning all of that is this fantastic revenue stream called television revenue. Mm. And the Dallas Mavericks monetize television revenue in their 75-mile radius or however it works in the NBA. That revenue stream, for as exciting as esports is, that revenue stream doesn't exist in esports. And it changes the model dramatically. And so it puts a lot of pressure on team owners and people like ourselves to find different revenue streams to make up for that. Yeah. And is that something that esports is more, I guess, innovative and tech forwards than traditional sports? Do you think is out of necessity? Is that, is that a... Yeah, I think it's a- yeah, I, I think I think they are, and I think look, there's there's advantages and disadvantages. The advantage is if you own an NFL team, um, the way the NFL works, uh, and again, you live in Texas, so I'll keep using Texas examples. If you own the Houston Texas Texans or the Dallas Cowboys, before the season starts, you get a check for 150 million dollars, which is your share of the TV revenue, and you can literally use that to pay your payroll and then figure out how to make money on top of that. Nobody is cutting a check to esports teams like that. And so they have to start from scratch. And that makes it a lot more different. Now, the flip side is esports is borderless. And you can, if you're a Luminosity or you're a Seattle Surge or a Vancouver Titans, you can build a fan base anywhere you want. And also, when the world is befelled with a massive pandemic, uh, NFL games aren't happening, but esports tournaments are. So again, there's a lot of advantages, but that traditional safe model where you own your 75 mile uh, radius and you can do whatever you want and not ever worry about someone coming in and threatening it, that's a very, very hard model to replicate um, in esports. Yeah. And also with OTT and the rise of digital platforms, it's it's a model that days are probably numbered. If not numbered, it's just not going to apply as it has um, for the duration. And that's something about, as you mentioned, a massive global pandemic isn't isn't creating new trends. It's just uh, rapidly speeding up old ones or existing ones. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is that something? So you took the leap from traditional sports into esports. What's, I mean, what was the kind of attraction in that move and, and what's been the biggest difference between the two? Um, so what happened was for me, I was running a sports and entertainment company and we owned a 20,000 seat arena 
and we were always looking for new ways to put more events in the building. We also own uh, an NHL hockey team. And so when the hockey team wasn't playing, the best way to make money is to put more events in the building that you own. Um, because of that, we had, we had the opportunity and we won the opportunity to host the Dota 2 International in our building. For the first time, it went anywhere outside of the U.S. And it literally blew us away. When we didn't know anything about esports, the six-day tournament sold out in an hour at an average price point of 80 bucks. Wow. But more, more amazing than that was the fact that when the event came to our building, we set noise records. We set concession wow. records. Um, it, it people were lined up for hours to get into the building. And um, again, we set concession records. And, and my joke, which isn't a joke, is in the entire six-day tournament, uh, we sold three beers and I bought two of them. <laughs> uh, gamer, gamers don't drink. That's their only downfall. Uh, yeah, this wasn't a Motley Crue concert. So, um, but again, I worked for It's easy to clean up then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The place was spotless. And we set a record. Uh, gamers may not drink, but they eat a lot of hot dogs. Um, so we were okay. But um, the, so I worked for this incredibly entrepreneurial family and they saw what was happening in their own building. And they said, look, we got to get all the way into this and you have to help us do it. And literally a month later, we'd purchased an Overwatch team. Uh, and then we purchased Luminosity, who had the biggest gamer in the world being Ninja on its roster. Uh, and, and the rest is history. But, you know, the, the difference between esports and um, traditional sports is, yeah, it's fluid. It's borderless. Um, which presents a lot of opportunities, but it also makes life a lot harder. And so that's kind of the biggest difference, I would say. Um, but again, where esports is going, um, it's a new frontier. And I personally wanted to be part uh, of a new frontier. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, it's, it's very exciting. Everything is kind of seeing the space and that we mentioned at the very beginning, the confluence of uh, gaming and, and music, but really sports, media, entertainment, if you think esports as a sport, like that is just the perfect package for it. Uh, and everything that's being said about it, uh, I think the reason that everyone gets so excited as well is the demographics. The, the most coveted uh, demographics for marketers in, in terms of that young young fan base as you said that will will have purchasing power will buy um jerseys like you know in-game thing and everyone they're, they're just ready to spend money so it's just like a very exciting um kind of demographic to be involved in yeah no it, and they're elusive right like people in marketing boardrooms in big companies all over the world are scratching their heads saying how do I get in front of Gen Z's in a way that doesn't alienate them? Like, where mm. are they? How can I find them? And, you know, my company speaks to 200 million of them every month. So uh, you're, you're right about that. And look, you also touched upon another very, very important point, which is, look, in the history of the world, uh, music has always been at the forefront of how young people express themselves 
uh, to their friends, to their families. It's, it's part of their identity in the same way gaming is now. But the thing that almost brought the music business to its knees was for 20 years, kids grew up and you were probably one of them um, who consumed music as much as I did. Um, but you, you, it, you never paid for it. You found ways to get your music without paying for it. Well, guess what? Uh, you know, Fortnite's the best example. Kids are more than willing to pay uh, for their gaming obsession. They're more than willing to buy things in game, those microtransactions, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they, they, there's no attempt to circumvent um, how the publishers and how others are charging for gaming content. That's a huge advantage that gaming has um, that music didn't for the last 20 years. Mm. And, it's, and importantly, I think it's done creatively rather than, uh, I mean, the music industry tried the stick, gaming's tried the carrot, so to speak. Uh, yeah. Just coming down hard, lawsuits, you know, shutting down things like LimeWire from going back that far um, and then looking at streaming options. But, I mean, it's something like Spotify, it's a, it's a subscription service that you pay per month, whereas that microtransaction model within something like Fortnite, um, the sky's the limit, so to speak. Yeah, and... What that's what 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 you said is so important because what that's also creating. If you are in the esports business and you're in the video game business and you're not a publisher, the hardest quest what you deal with, what I deal with, and my colleagues deal with every day, which by the way is decreasing at an accelerated rate, is good old fashioned age discrimination. Right, people in positions of corporate power are older. And they remember that the video games they used to play are completely different. Mm. So they think that gaming is antisocial. They think that gaming occurs behind closed doors. They have no idea that gaming is the new social network. It's the way people make friends and forge alliances. And especially in a time like this, uh, interact socially when, when social distancing is the norm. And they don't get that, right? And so the, one of their concerns is they say, look, what happens when people don't play this game anymore? What then? What are you going to do when the kids all abandon uh, Fortnite, et cetera? And the reality is, is that as games are going to a free-to-play model and the main revenue generator for a publisher is within the game, then it's a logical next step to say, they better make sure those games last mm. as long as humanly possible. Yeah. Uh, because, because they're not buying and selling games anymore. So, so that is also an incentive that will help the esports business because these games are gonna last longer and longer because that's how the publishers are gonna make the money. And it's, it's almost seeing them as titles rather than games in the sense of you have something like Fortnite that has seasons within that. Season 12, 14, I don't know what season we are, but that title, Fortnite, has had various iterations along the way. It's been free to play, but it, it evolves, it grows, it changes. Um, and it is, it is the social network for this younger demographic. And, and to your point earlier, it's how they express themselves. Those microtransactions aren't about improving your gameplay. You can't kind of buy your way to being a better player. 
uh, it's all looks, it's all aesthetics, it's all skins and emotes and whatever else. Um, but it's a form of it's a form of expression. So that's uh, yeah, that's that's certainly something to to watch from the game publishers. I think is is how they expand that and how they expand the non um, direct gameplay. So Fortnite is a battle royale um, third person shooter, but then there's creative mode and there's other other ones. And, and I keep centering on Fortnite just because it's it's for someone coming outside of esports. I think if you're trying to understand esports as a new social network, that's probably a good game to start with. Um, yeah. Rather than starting at like Dota or something that they'll just, it'll blow your mind. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I 100% agree on that. And is that something that you're, when you're working with marketers and maybe the kind of uh, pale male and stale uh, boardroom, uh, is that something that you need to educate them on before you sell to them like how is how does that relationship work or is it more they're just rushing in going we've got to hit this um and then it's more educating them on how to nuance what they're doing um yeah i part of it definitely with non-endemic uh companies there is an education process but what what i've noticed um from having spent so much time in this industry in the last call it 18 months is that a year ago, if you were the chief marketing officer of a big, big company, you could still avoid esports and, and video gaming. Um, you could say, I don't get it. And you know, let's just, uh, yeah, I understand that young people are important. Let's just, you know, drop some stuff into the Facebook pixel and that'll take care of that. Um, that was a year ago. I'm telling you, and this is great news for everyone in this industry. If you're that CMO today, you cannot avoid video gaming anymore. Mm. There has been a shift and a very important one that's taken place in the last 12 months. So the education uh, process is a whole lot quicker um, than it ever has been. And that's um, a very a tectonic shift. You know, I think some of the funnier conversations that I've had in the past is, you know, Again, I love that pale male and what is it? Stale male and pale, pale. pale male and stale. Pale male and stale. I yeah. I resemble that remark, by the way. But <laughs> um, but in any event, um, you know, one of the things that would drive me up a wall is you'd get some corporate captain who'd say, you know what, with a big sneer on his face, I just don't get why anyone would watch someone else play video games. Like, you know, and then their underlings would laugh. And what I started doing, and I look, I'm one small part of it, but I started saying, well, you know what? Let's just take an inventory of what we are more than happy to watch other people do. My wife is more than happy to watch Martha Stewart baste a turkey for four hours, right? My friends are more than happy to watch someone flip real estate in Los Angeles for a couple hours. Um, you know, my dad will watch Emeril, Chef Emeril saute mushrooms for an hour. So, like, why... Why are we all like, you know, scratching our head over why people would watch other people play video games? Or, or watching now people watch TV. That's like the new, the, the watching celebrities yeah. watch along parties, things like that. You're not even yeah. watching the thing, you're watching someone else watch the thing. Yeah. It sounds silly, right? And But those were the, conver those, those conversations don't happen anymore. Hmm. And that's the exciting part of how quickly esports is hitting that mainstream. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's good to hear. The, the other piece that I've, I've heard a lot is 
um, education for non-endemic brands that are a little bit of that. Oh, we'll just rush. We'll rush in, and we're trying to connect with this this youth market, and they just do something that really doesn't, as you said, it's alienating. Um, is that something that you're finding as well that you have to educate them on? Well, you really want to do this activation, but you're kind of missing the mark. Um, a little bit, but you know, the funny part about it is, you know, there's a couple of shifts that are also happening in in advertising that are that are going to benefit uh, esports uh, endeavors. And, and the, the major thing is, in the old days, quote unquote, um, you'd spend a lot of money as an advertiser to get brand awareness, right? You take banner ads, you just want to get your logo out there. The pressure is on to have those ads perform now. So banner ads, brand awareness, that's not going to get a, a marketing guy uh, or girl to uh, hit their bonus for the year. So those ads need to perform. And what that means is, is the influencer network, the influencer channel is becoming a more and more dominant channel for marketing spend because the Gen Z's that you and I are talking about um, are hard to reach, but they're very, very, very influenced by the people that they follow online. Their purchase behavior is highly, highly uh, influenceable. And so that means that, you know, it's as important for a smart marketer to get a, a big Twitch streamer uh, involved in their marketing as it is, you know, to put their logo on a rink board or uh, on the sidelines of an NFL game. Because they know, look, Fresh Asian, our favorite Australian streamer, who is a luminosity guy, when he pops a can of G Fuel, kids go out and buy G Fuel. It's just a fact. Mm. So that's good. So, so in these content creators and influencers that are streaming 16 hours a day to 10,000, 5,000 concurrents, um, marketers have woken up and said, I want that. And that's really, really good for companies like mine. Yeah, I think also for the industry as a whole, because it's just it's that education piece that's that's happening and it's it's pushing past um, yeah. I mean the hype of esports is actually pushing past and going, well what is the what is the meaningful substance in this? And it's it's working with influencers as you said, and it's that direct connection to Generation Z. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Adrian. I uh, really appreciate it. Gonna leave you with one last question that we ask all of our guests. What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Um, I'm from Toronto. Uh, and you're from Texas. And when Jose Bautista hit that home run against the Texas Rangers and did the bat flip and stuck it to all the Rangers fans, I was in the building. I thought there was going to be a riot. And it was the greatest sporting moment I've ever been a part of. That's, that's fantastic. Wait, do you remember what you, what, when was that? What? 2000, 2015. 2015, yeah. 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 All right, I'll try and dig up some footage of that one. I'm go to that. YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah I definitely YouTube. will. Yeah. It is. Oh, I'm going to go to it right now after this. <laughs> All right, fantastic. Yeah, I've seen that tested to a, uh, hit a home run um, in Toronto, actually. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it was one of those things. I wasn't really familiar with the sport or the team, and I was like, well, oh, there's a awful lot of Batista jerseys. I don't know about this guy. And then it, I think it was like in the eighth innings or something, he just bombed it and everyone's gone nuts. And I went, oh, that's why. 
that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There you cool. go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Adrian. We'll include some um, show notes there. I'll also include um, uh, maybe some of the videos to some of the streamers in the show notes as well. If anyone wants to uh, check them out, maybe that uh, DJ Jose uh, Zoo. We can. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Let, let me let me get you some of that. That that was really cool. The DJ Zoo Fresh Asian thing. We got a highlight reel, and um, I'll send it your way. Perfect. All right. Thanks you so much for being on the show, Adrian. We'll talk to you later. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye. There you have it. That was Adrian Montgomery, CEO of Enthusiast Gaming. Perfectly positioned to talk about what traditional sports can learn from esports and vice versa. Uh, Really exciting space, obviously, in esports, all the innovation that's happening, um, how they're connecting with those younger audiences, uh, something that traditional sports and also the brands that usually are sponsoring, usually involved, really need to connect with. So as Adrian said, it's something that really the industry has evolved in the last few years, especially on the brand side where you have CEOs and whoever else, marketing heads, uh, heads of department, that instead of esports being a little kind of niche thing off to the side or or something that I don't quite understand that it's not Pac-Man anymore, um, really understanding that there's genuine engagement here, genuine communities, and it really is a global phenomenon. Over the next few weeks, we've got more fantastic guests coming up, uh, including leaders from NASCAR, uh, North Carolina State University, San Francisco 49ers, Atlanta Falcons, UK Sport, which is the peak body for Olympic sports in the United Kingdom, uh, Baltimore Orioles, and and many more. So stay tuned. And as always, looking forward to seeing you on Sports Tech Feed.